Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Here we go, Fight for Your Family. I don't know what installment we're on, but we are in the series Fight for Your Family. And to start off this morning right away, I want to clarify for you because I think there's some confusion. The title of the series is Fight for Your Family, not Fight Your Family. Okay? Fighting for our families, not fighting our families. And I say that because I feel like in my own home, sometimes that's what actually is happening. I feel like I'm fighting against my own flesh and blood. Sometimes I am. They still don't pick up their socks. They still don't know how to dry the bathroom floor after they use it. Um, I'm worried there's a lot of other things they don't know how to do. Um, But it's a little too late to start over, so we'll work with what we got. So we are fighting for our families. Now, of course, this series could become very politically loaded, and probably at some point we will have to give nod to the political and social, social situations we find ourselves in, but I want to I bring us back to a realistic starting point before we get there, okay? Now, I might be the only one who feels like my family is not marching to the beat of my drum. Um, now, sometimes they are, which annoys me even more because the things I see that are failure in them, I see in myself, and of course, that's uh, not a fun day. Um, but I want you to understand that when it comes to fighting for our families, you do need to consciously pick your battle. You consciously have to pick battles. Because there, are war, there, there is a war being fought all around us in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm. There are wars everywhere. Uh, and by wars, I mean you have to understand that 7.5 billion people on this planet, all created in the image of God, all as little individual kingdoms bumping into one another, trying to decide which kingdom will dominate the other. You don't think that happens? Watch your four- and five-year-old children figure out whose thing is what thing. It's all it is. And, and if you don't think that matters, then watch uh, the Calgary fans who are disheartened and disillusioned by their loss harassing the Oilers fans because the Oilers can't pull a game together, it seems like. And, and, you know, there's just all kingdoms bouncing into each other. Of course, it gets a lot more serious than that, too. There are kingdoms ruled by darkness bouncing into kingdoms that are ruled by the light. And all around us is conflict and war. But I want you to know this morning, if you want to be fighting for your family, then you, knew, then you need to learn how to pick the battle. You need to learn how to identify and understand what the battle actually is. And probably, and, and I think most importantly, we need to understand once again who or what it is that we actually battle against. The tendency the church has or church people have adopted uh, historically and, and especially recently is one of unification. But that's actually not what Jesus teaches. You'll recall Jesus said, you say I've come for peace, but, but I say to you, I have come with the sword to divide. And Jesus goes on to talk about his, he's coming, his ministry is to turn fathers against sons. Now, this isn't talking about warfare in, the, in our own homes, but it's talking about the reality that when Jesus gets involved, each one of us individually must make a choice. And we each one individually choose to walk with Jesus. I don't walk with Jesus because my father walked with Jesus, although his influence is greatly appreciated. I walk with Jesus because I want to walk with Jesus. And that's what it must be. And there are many times, in many places, in fact, we deal with kids in this church whose parents mock them for coming to church. 
or coming to youth group or coming to young adults. We had one awesome girl get saved at young adults, and her parents told her, you're in a cult. Her brother said, you're in a cult. It's all this. It's all bad. It's blah, 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 blah. Jesus sometimes causes division before he causes unity. But isn't that always true when wrong things need to be made right? We are fighting for our families. And so I want to remind you of what Ephesians chapter 6 says this morning. Very simply, this won't be a super long message today even. But Ephesians 6.12 specifically says this, and I'll remind you because I know many of you are brilliant Bible scholars and have memorized this verse. This is what it says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Okay, for those of you who are brilliant scholars, how many factions did we just discover there are that we are fighting against? Anybody count them? Let's go again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Somebody say that's one. Okay. Against the powers. That's two. Thank you. Against the world forces of this darkness. That's okay. And against spiritual forces of weakness in heavenly places. That makes four. Ephesians 6.12 says there are four battles, four entities, four groups. Whatever, however you want to determine it at this moment is fine by me. Here's what it actually means. To what or who, the fact, of, the, the fact is this, that we actually are making war or are engaged in war with four specific realities that are not flesh and blood. Now, it's very important that you understand the not flesh and blood part because what we see a lot in this world in the church is we see the church going out and instead of being a spiritual authority, which is the realm of authority the church has its authority in, we see the church trying to be maybe a moral authority or it tries to be a physical authority and it never really goes very well because that's not the warfare that we're necessarily called to. Now, in a moment, I'll differentiate just a little bit between the physical engagement that must take place, even in a family or outside of a family and community, football field, hockey rink, what have you. So we deal with these four entities, and, and let me break it down for you. If, if you, I would invite you, encourage you even, I would strongly suggest to you that you too can go to an online Bible. I like using Bible Hub, um, BibleHub.com. They have Greek lexicon, so you, you too can go and read what these words mean in the Greek. But I did the homework for you today, trusting that you'll follow up on your own. So when we have the rulers, what we're talking about is spiritual kings, and we're talking about of a demonic nature. Okay, so the rulers would be spiritual kings. The powers would be like the magistrates, okay, the, the under-ruling authorities, and then we have the world forces, which is an interesting thing. Notice there's a difference between the world forces and the spiritual forces of darkness. The world forces, which are a sort of, I'll, the best way I can say it is like the demonic infantry. And finally, spiritual forces of wickedness, which are the demonic forces that work iniquity. And those last two, it's important to understand the difference. We have these, um, we have these, 
these world forces, the demonic foot soldiers of this darkness. And that word darkness in the Greek refers to morality. So we have a demonic entity, a demonic force in this world under the command of two higher demonic forces that are working on the morality of man. And then we also, in a different faction, have a a spiritual infantry of, of demonic forces that are working iniquity in the hearts of men. Understand this, there is, a, there is a huge difference between morality, which would be the acting out of things in our flesh, and iniquity, which is always best understood as the sin of our mind. See, it's the iniquity of the fathers that's passed to the son down through the generations. And it's not the physical nature of that, but it's the mental nature. I always used to explain this to our church, and some of you would remember this maybe, but iniquity, maybe it's best to think of it like it's the sin of your mind, and other immoral acts are literally acts of immorality. They're, they're sin acts. It's acting out in sin. Both are condemned by Jesus. Right? Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus is saying that the act of iniquity, lusting after a woman, to him is the same as one who actually commits adultery. But that's a very simple, clear picture of what iniquity might be like and what an act of immorality might look like. Both are sin. And we just need to understand this today because this is the battle lines that are drawn. It's not just that the devil is trying to get you to sin outright. It's that the devil wants to actually keep you thinking about sinning outright. Because when we're tied up in our thought process with this battle all the time and not fighting this battle, we are incapable of engaging in the places we ought to be engaging. Let me give you a really straightforward example of this. Men or women who are dealing with an addiction to pornography, they might not act out in terms of physical outward sin, but the obsession with this ridiculous fantasy, which doesn't truly exist, it's a fantasy, prevents them from engaging with with people like their daughters. Because here's the awkward reality of pornography, gentlemen, is it's all fine and good when your girls are little, but what happens when they start to grow up and they begin to look like the fantasies that you're addicted to? Right? To say it's someone's daughter isn't quite enough. It's your daughter at some point. And that... That is the plan, that is the ploy of the enemy to keep you tied, to keep you bound. If he can't get you to sin outright, he's going to get you to sin in right, if I can say it that way. And make no mistake, there are spiritual forces of this world's darkness, and there are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. When we are fighting for our families, it is so important to understand the context of this battleground. It's not as simple as some people want it to be. And at the same time, it can be so incredibly simple. The what or who matters. Um, A basic summary, and again, I'd like you to check this out. Just to, just to try to package this up for you to take home today. We are fighting against demonic and, in all probability, territorial kings. And then there are stewards that work under them. And then there are 
levels of other spirits who work under them, all to the destruction. If you want a great read that would just give some framing to this, it is not literal. It is it is an it is a, a, a fantasy, a story, a non or a fiction. Is uh, the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis? This this would be something that he is basing that book on. Uh, this this kind of idea that we see in Scripture, and some of you think right away, oh, I'm too intellectual to engage my imagination. I want to remind you that imagination is a huge part of your intellect. So don't ever write off imagination because you'll be writing off all of the parables that Jesus told. Jesus told parables to what? To engage the imagination of people so they would understand the living word of God. Please do not think, you're, do not think yourself wise, as the Bible says. <laughs> it will take you to a place that will leave you feeling foolish. All right. Um, I want you to understand, and I hope that you're not surprised, that the enemy that we are engaged with is an organized war machine. That's the reality. And it's not, guys, it's not just that they're coming for your kids, it's that they're coming for you. It's not just that they're coming for your grandkids, it's they're coming for you. And they're tying you up, moms and dads and grandparents, and young adults and teenagers who will one day be parents. He wants to tie you up now so you are ineffective at protecting the generation and leading the generation that needs to be led coming behind you. Ephesians 6 is the spiritual warfare chapter, really, of the Bible. There are other chapters in the Bible that speak a lot about spiritual warfare. But I think this is the one we all kind of gravitate to because it says to put on the whole armor of God. And, and you're right, I don't know if you know that, but it does. It talks about putting on the full armor of God, standing firm. After you do everything else, stand firm. And stand firm, girded with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. It's the spiritual warfare chapter. Anybody want to take a guess at what the first verse of, Hebrew, or of, uh, sorry, of Ephesians 6 says? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For it is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and your days will be long in the earth. See, sometimes people jump ahead. Oh, yeah, Pastor Travis talking about oh, warfare. and that. Guys, Ephesians chapter 6 is the warfare chapter, and the first verse in it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I don't know how else to help you understand the context of, a wor- of the word of God in other than to say the fight relates to the family. And we better understand that and stop trying to be individualistic and and look and act more like a family unit, whether that be in a household or across an entire church family. We are a unit, and we need to be as organized as the enemy is organized. We need to be in rank and file, and we need to be ready reporting for duty, for we all have a job to do. We all have a ministry, a gifting. We all have weapons of warfare which are divine, not carnal, for the tearing down of spiritual strongholds. This is who we are called to be as the bride of Christ, a warring faction of saints. So picketing and marching is not the right battleground. Where is this battle fought? Well, it probably starts in your heart. Probably starts 
on your knees or in your praying chair. You don't have a praying chair? You should get a praying chair. Parents, fighting for your family is your spiritual act of warfare. See, you already knew maybe that you have a spiritual act of worship, which is to not be transformed or not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what the acceptable and perfect will of God is. See, that's the spiritual act of worship. But did you also know there's a spiritual act of warfare that you're called to? It's, it's right here in Ephesians 6. Let me read this, not all, but I'll read some of this to you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. This feels like these days. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Having girded your loins with truth and having put on a breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and all petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains, and in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So for the kids that are left in this room, let me ask you this. Because the parents feel picked on when I preach all the time. So this is just for you kids. And whether you're 19 years old or whether you're 5 years old, it doesn't matter to me. I'm asking you kids, do you pray for your parents? Well, I didn't know that was my job, Pastor Trav. Ryan, I'll give you 5 bucks if you know whose voice I'm imitating. It was yours. I'm just kidding. It wasn't yours. <laughs> kids, do you pray for your parents? The silence in the room is shocking. Because probably nobody told you, hey, it's your job as a follower of Jesus, kid, to pray for your parents. And it's not your fault. It's because the church is terrible at promoting the next generation. Everything the church always says is for your future. Oh, one day you'll become. Oh, one day you'll be a worship leader. Oh, one day you'll prophesy. Oh, one day you'll blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on and on. And I just want you to know that's not right. Today is the day. So for 5-year-olds through 15-year-olds through 25-year-olds in our church, today is the day to move in the call of God on your life. When the Bible says to pray without ceasing, it's not just for those 18 and over. That's absolutely stupid. It's for everyone in the household of faith. As some of your 5-year-old and 8-year-old and 12-year-old prayers are far more powerful than the 38-year-old prayers. Because the 38-year-olds have lost their passion and they're defeated. And they're not walking in victory because they feel so tired and burned out. Never underestimate the power 
of a prayer, especially from a child. Don't listen, kids. You honor authority in your life, but you always honor the greatest authority in your life, which is Jesus. And Jesus says you can come to him. What did he say to the disciples? Suffer and let the children come to me. Oh, but Lord, they're so loud. Jesus likes their loudness. Oh, they keep on talking in the middle of the service. Jesus likes it when they talk in the service. As if he didn't die for five-year-olds. And as if he hasn't called them onward and upward to the great dream that he has for their life. Parents, you want to fight for your family? Here's a, here's a starting point that you could take today. Release them. Release them. Like, like help them, teach them, let them begin to pray and intercede. Let them worship. Oh, but I don't like the noise. You come to my house for a week, and if you can make it in my house for a week with the worshiping and the noise that goes on, you walk into my house and there is a piano or a guitar playing. If the sun is up, if, well, sorry, afternoon, if the sun is still up, there is a voice or an instrument making music. But you know what's cool is absolutely like most of it, all of it, is worship. And sometimes I have a headache and I just need quiet. You've got to release them because they have a part in the fight too. Fighting for our families doesn't mean we put the kids in the back seat of the car and lock the doors. It means we actively engage them, as it's appropriate, in the things that are going on in the world around us. My children were very small when they would come in the middle of the night waking us up for a bad dream. And I, I like to think that I'm a smart guy. And so right away I'm like, well, this is dumb that I have to wake up in the night when they love Jesus, and Jesus said that all the authority that he has, he's given to us who believe in him. And, well, if my kids believe in Jesus, then why shouldn't they have his authority? And so after the third or fourth time we had to wake up with our kids, we just started praying with them and leading them in, hey, no, 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 you're in charge. You're actually in charge of your bedroom. And if the devil is trying to keep you awake at night, you are in charge Jesus says he has to listen to you. So you tell the devil to go back to the corner. You know what? Our kids started sleeping better. It's not always that simple. It's not always that easy. I'm just trying to engage your mind this morning to understand that fighting for our family means we got to release our kids to the fight. Some of you who are adults, you got to release your parents to the fight trying to hold it in, hold it together, hold it for them. No, you just got to let it go. Let them fight. Kids, I want you to remember this, that Ephesians 6 tells us that whether we're slaves or free, and maybe it's better for us to understand whether we're the people in charge or the people under charge. 
God is the master of everyone and he is not partial. That means that when it comes to this chapter of scripture that we're talking about today, a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 12 or whatever year old and a 40-year-old, when it comes to a spiritual authority in Jesus and how you pray, you are of equal standing. Doesn't matter if you're the boss or the not boss. The one in charge or the one under charge, it doesn't matter. Jesus hears our prayers the same. And he gives credit to our prayer the same. I'd like you to consider as well the part of this passage where the Apostle Paul is saying, please pray for me that I may say the things I'm supposed to say with clarity, that I might, he's saying that I do God's will, that I carry out my ministry. Please pray for me. Kids, I want you to understand that he's a spiritual father and he's asking his spiritual sons and daughters to pray for him. And kids, you got to pray for your parents, and you got to pray for your pastors, and you got to pray for your teachers, and you got to pray, in fact, the Bible says, for everyone who is over you in terms of authority, so that you may lead a godly life with all dignity. Now, you could write this message off very easily and say, okay, I get it. The whole principle of spiritual warfare then is just, it's prayer. Fighting for our families is just about praying. No, we'll get to the deeper parts of that. Uh, in the next week or two still. I just want to engage your mind this morning. I want to tell you, parents, stop fighting your kids. I also want to tell some certain teenagers, stop fighting your parents. Instead, fight for your kids. Parents, fight for your kids. Pray over them. Well, they won't stand still long enough. Wait till they're asleep. They do sleep a lot. And you don't even have to get up early once you have teenagers. Like, you don't have to start praying until 10.30 in the morning on a Saturday. And even then, you could pray for two and a half, three hours. <laughs> it's not complicated, guys. Stand at the door of your child's bedroom and pray over them. Yeah, but Pastor Trav, you don't understand. They just won't listen. They're listening to trash music. and Well, you probably gave them permission to do that. It's probably your fault. Just say it. But what you can do about it now is you can stand in the gap for them and you can begin to pray over them whether they know it or not. Don't make it awkward as they're trying to get into the mall that you lay hands on them and anoint them with oil. Even worse, put one of those prayer shawls over them. Don't be weird. But pray over your stinking kids. Lay, their, lay your hands on them, even if they're not awake. They might think you're coming to murder them. It's possible. <laughs> they won't think that. It would be weird, though, if my boys woke up and my hand is on their chest at 3 in the morning. I am praying in the spirit over them. Listen, it doesn't have to be weird like that. Put your hand on the door to their bedroom and start praying. I'll be shocked if their room doesn't get cleaner. Not because of your praying, but because of your praying, their cleaning might get better. See, too many people think, well, the youth group program will fix it. 
No, the youth program is there to help you fix it. Well, maybe we'll catch them in young adults. You know, Generations has a pretty thumping young adults program these days. The young adults program is actually there to help you. Well, the pastors, no, no, the pastors are actually here to walk a line alongside you because my job is of the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's actually my job. Who does that leave the work of the ministry to? To you and to your kids. That's why it's so important to release generations. Not in the future, but today. Get up in the early morning and sit with a cup of coffee. Just for five minutes, dads. And pray for your family. Five minutes. And it's okay if that's the most you've prayed in months. Because now's the day to start. Take the spiritual authority that you have in Christ and get to work there first. Then, then begin to discipline and disciple your child. If you don't know this by now, you'll know it soon enough as a parent one day. You will not know what to do all the time. And it's good to read books and it's good to consult the internet, I suppose. But you know where Amy and I got the most traction? with strong-willed, stubborn children like Logan. We prayed. One day he was having a meltdown in the mall. It had become a regular occurrence. He was a very defiant boy with feet like a monkey. He could climb out of cribs and shopping carts and wrap his chubby little toes around things, and he could climb. He could get out of anything just about. And Amy had tried everything, thumping the diaper, I don't know if we're allowed to say the S word anymore without getting, like, arrested. He's spanking. She tried everything. I said, you're not doing it right. So I came home from work one day. I'll show you how to do this. Thump, 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 thump. Nothing changed. Amy, in a moment of desperation, cried out to God. And God had her take away. Was it his hat or his cup? His sippy cup. Kid cried like we had put him in the rack and had him drawn and quartered. It was the most violent sort of crying we'd ever heard come out of that child. And why did we arrive there? Because my wife inquired of the Lord as to what to do. And from that moment on, we were able to begin to train and to bend his will so that he would grow up to be his own namesake. His name, Logan, means devoted to God. You see, parents, see our job as stewards of our children, is to help bend their will, to teach them to bend their will to Jesus. That's what we're fighting for. And we're fighting to keep the other things away from them so that we can be the influence, so that the Holy Spirit can influence them and teach them from a young age the way that they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Parents, (laughs) I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk, about this for the, for the church as a whole in the next coming weeks. But stop trying to win your battles with moral authority. Stop trying to win your battle with moral authority. Moral authority only works on those who perceive themselves to be under that authority. And most people don't even know that they're under moral authority from heaven. They, they don't. And so you shouldn't be surprised when they don't respond to it. It would kind of like, 
it, it kind of like be if, if we took the RCMP in Canada and put them in a white pantsuit and they drove around on unmarked bicycles and they went and stood in the middle of traffic telling people to stop, everybody would just go screaming by. Why? Because nobody would recognize that as an authority. It's the same way with moral authority in the world we're living in. And it's actually the same way when your children are given to you at birth. They are actually not under moral authority. That's something that has to be taught to them. And the church has made a lot of mistakes over many, many years of trying to, tra to change the world with moral authority. When it's not moral authority that changes the world, but the blood of Jesus. That's what changes the world. Because as we come under the blood of Jesus, we begin to come under biblical or moral authority. And then the Holy Spirit becomes the convictor of sin. Don't ever forget that the law, the Bible says, that the law was a teacher. And it needed fulfillment in Christ because it wasn't able to do what Jesus did. Response is always a conditioned reality. And a conditioned reality is something that is taught and reinforced over time. It took time to potty train children, didn't it? One or two of them got it really, really quick. Some of them took a long time. But it took time over time to train them because all training is actually relationship. Training, teaching, and trusting are the three stages of development in the lives of kids. And you can search up that message in our history podcast if you'd like. Time over time is the only way. I think it was John Hagee who used to say, uh, or I can't remember who it was, but it was, this was the saying, you can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. Profoundly true. And too often, though, this is what people attempt to do fighting for their families. I've actually seen parents totally ignore the sin condition of their children and blame something spiritual. It's like, no, that's a discipleship thing. Take the toy away. I've also seen kids who are acting out and it's, it's clearly because of a spiritual affliction. And the parent thinks he's going to discipline it out of him. You can't disciple a demon, and you can't cast out the flesh. So we need the wisdom of God so that we can fight appropriately for our families. Either way, just like anything worth accomplishing in this life, it is the rule of time over time. Relationship is equal to time over time. That's how you build it. That's how you do it. That's how you condition it. That's how you get the response that you want. It's time over time. I wish your iPhone or your Android or whatever you had also could weigh your family time against your screen time. I wonder what it would look like. Congratulations, you're down 14% on screen time and up 42% on family time. That would be exciting. Worship team, you can come. I'm all but done. 
So we need to learn to bend our will, and our kids need to learn to bend their own will. And that is the process of teaching. That's what it's about. You are going to be fighting an uphill battle your entire life if you don't learn the steps of bending our will. First and foremost, with ourselves, we have to start there. So today, as a parent, maybe you need to bend your will. And the best start for you today might be to come up in a few moments and get us to pray with you. Might be. Um, some of you might need a hug and some reassurance that you're going to be okay. Your family's not the train wreck that you think it is or that the enemy is telling you it is. Maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you need to repent of some things today. And Holy Spirit is putting his finger on some things in your life that are keeping you from fighting this fight. Guys, we're here to walk with you on this path to whatever end. Generations Church is really quite literally about generations. So wherever you're at today, I'm going to pray with you in a moment, and I hope that you'll open your heart to let the Holy Spirit place his finger on anything that might need to come under a better alignment with his will. Just like every Sunday, maybe you're sitting in church this morning and you actually don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It is the most important thing that any one of us can ever do to hand, to hand our life over to him, to turn from sin and follow Jesus. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you about that. Maybe you have sickness in your body you need healing maybe you're just at the end of your rope today mentally drained, done, want to be finished guys there's resurrection power in the presence of God just his presence contains enough power to resurrect dry bones So I'm going to pray with you, for you. We're going to sing one last song, just like we always do. I'm encouraging you this morning. I'm inviting you this morning. Please come. Don't leave this place the same way that you came in. Open your heart to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. And then respond to what he's saying. We're in a fight of our lives for this generation. We want our families to thrive. We want our sons and our daughters to be 10 times better than their counterparts. And so maybe the place for you to start is today. Let's all stand together. Let me pray over you. And then this morning, you come. Don't deny the Holy Spirit what he's asking for. That's going the wrong direction. Come the right direction today. Let us pray with you. Father, I thank you for each person that's standing in this room, for each one that's watching online this morning. And Jesus, we thank you for the gift of family, whether it be 
a physical family or whether it be the spiritual family of a church. Lord, we're so grateful for the relationships you've given us. And Holy Spirit, today we're asking that you would help us to become capable warriors in this fight for families. Jesus, there are so many things we fall short of in this life. As parents, as children, as as leaders, as followers, God, we're so imperfect. But Lord, once again, we rely on your perfection manifesting in us because of what you did at the cross. And so Holy Spirit, I ask right now for each person here that you would place your attention on us. And that you would draw our attention to what your attention is on right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to respond without fear or without delay to the things you're talking to us about today. We ask all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.